Just a quick update on things that are happening with the, the final food from the shipment was being handed out a couple of weeks ago. I talked with Pen Pastor Benjamin this week. Um, he was saying his parents uh, pastored through, through Soviet times. They pastored a little church in a village called Ruskopoliana. And uh, they said during that season, if you were to hand out Bibles, a very unique thing would happen. As soon as you gave a Bible to somebody, this was during the 60s, 70s, and 80s that they pastored, uh, they would take the Bible, and as soon as they got it, they would stand there, they would open up and begin reading the moment they got it. Like, can you imagine? And, and so his parents had been telling him about this, right? That this was a phenomenon during the Soviet Union period of time. And he thought in his mind, that would never happen again. And he said, now, people come through, they pick up food, and we give them a Bible optionally. They give you a Bible optionally. He says, they stop right in line with more people in line, and they open it up, and they begin reading it right away. It's, it's interesting. There's, uh, even in, uh, in the very difficult times that Ukraine is going through, there's just a passion and a hunger for truth. And uh, I think that's something that, even though access to the Word of God is prevalent in Ukraine, it's prevalent here I think we're going to see that again here in our nation as well, a passion for the Word. It's 505 years ago tomorrow that Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the Abbey there, and uh, we celebrate that, I guess, on the 31st as a Reformation Day because Martin Luther really stood for what we know to be true, and that is salvation is by grace through faith, not by works right? And that all we need to do is believe. And that truth permeates the Word of God. And as the Word of God became accessible to the average man, starting like in the 1600s, right? The plain reading of Scripture shows that to be true. That it is purely a gift from God, and that from those who believe can receive new life and be saved. I'm going to read 20, 21 verses today from the book of Acts, verse chapter 16, three different stories of people hearing that truth and how it completely transformed their lives, how it affected everything they did. Uh, if, you, if you really like kind of diving in deep, the, 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 the commentary coming from, from Timothy Keller on these passages is just amazing. I read it several times in the last few weeks in preparation for this message. And he really talks about some contrasts that were happening between these guys. And let's read the passages together because there are such powerful stories. Verse 13 starts with the story of Lydia. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside of the city to a river bank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Story number one. Story number two, verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, 
These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. I love that. He got frustrated with this. Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. That's story two. Story three. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace, and the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they said. They shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and when they were thrown into prison, the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. They brought them into the house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they believed in God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives us a guide. Lord, it is challenging to live in a very complex culture that we live in today. And Lord, would you guide us in how we should be living out our faith? And Lord, though we read our stories of complexities here in Philippi, Lord God, you let your gospel go forth. We pray for the same thing for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When, uh, when our kids were growing up, I told bedtime stories. How many of you are bedtime stories kind of parents? A couple of you out there, right? Uh, often, you know, we didn't have a lot of the English-speaking books around, like, like library and English-speaking, so a lot of times I would make up bedtime stories. Anybody make up bedtime stories kind of people here? A few of you. So I had a recurring one, um, and it had no preparation whatsoever, but it was around a character called Mr. Squeaks. He was a squirrel with a top hat, and he lived in a backyard of his grandmother's house, and of the grandmother's house of these two kids that happened to be twins, by the way. And, uh, and every night they wanted to hear Mr. Squeaks' story, and so I would sit down and, without any preparation, just started talking, right, and telling the story, and it would go as long as my patients would go, typically. 
And uh, after a while, the story was over, and off to bed they were, and the next night or the night after, we'd pick up and continue the story of Mr. Squeaks. And uh, it's funny because my kids still remember the stories. I don't remember them at all, right? I, I don't remember the stories. They, they were not compelling to me. I was just trying to make it up as I go. And, and uh, Evan has decided to actually write the books uh, based on them, and he's doing actually his his, uh, his senior project around Mr. Squeaks at college, and uh, he's going to, to write children's books that essentially communicate great ethics out of Scripture and use Scripture through Mr. Squeaks. And so he calls me once in a while and says, remind me a little bit about the marshmallow swamp. <laughs> right? No idea. I don't remember. So even now I'm making up stories. Well, you know. (laughs) I should have recorded them, right? So it's interesting, first of all, that North Central University allows a student to do their senior project on Mr. Squeaks. But, But it's a compelling way in which we communicate some important ideas, storytelling. Most of us remember things in stories, right? And it's interesting, my wife and I, we had some, some people over last night and we were kind of hanging around a fire and, and uh, a topic came up and my wife knew that I had a story around that topic and she kind of started it and then looked over at me like, okay, you have your story now. Now is your time, tell your story. Because we are people of storytelling right? We remember based upon stories. It's a part of who we are, and I think it's amazing that God would use stories, whether historical or parables, to bring apart ideas that are so important for us to integrate into our hearts and lives. Because it's really hard to just remember an idea, but it's so easy to remember a story. I remember my wife and I started out in a language school in Odessa, and uh, our professor would always tell us, um, okay, repeat after me, say this. And then she would tell us, okay, it's got this ending now. And, and I would say, but why? Right? And she said, don't, don't, don't worry about why. Just do what I say. Right? And so then I would repeat the word, and she's like, well, I said, well, this is an exception. It's Kluchenia. It's an exception. Why? And she's like, doesn't matter why. Just, just memorize. I, I, I can't memorize like that, right? I got to know why. Tell me a story. Why is this an exception? Well, tell me why this is like this, you know? And once I have a story, I, I connect with it, right? Do you know that we're all here with stories? We're all here with stories. We're stories of hard times, stories of laughter and joy, stories of God showing up when we didn't expect it, Right? We all have these amazing stories. And what Paul was doing in this situation, what Luke was writing about, were these amazing stories that we could grasp onto and see. This is is an amazing way God works. And today we're going to look at at three storylines to see how grace permeates people's lives, so much so that salvation is just naturally happening around them. Now we're, we're... We're going through deep waters, right? A challenging season. And 
one of the topics that Pastor Mark and I have been talking about is how the foundational message of grace through faith is kind of slipping away. People are religious. But the story of salvation through Jesus Christ is something that the culture pushes away. I preached several weeks ago on how people preached, people push away the name of Jesus. Why? Because it's the message of Jesus that is so offensive. That's so difficult for people to grasp and hold on to. And today I want to talk about making salvation the main thing in our lives. It is our story as believers in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you are in the middle of that story. You are realizing the story of coming fully into Jesus Christ and coming to faith in him. So today we're going to go through these three stories of grace. We understand that these works of grace are often called being saved. But uh, foundationally they are around the idea that new life comes into somebody according to 1 Corinthians, when they believe. And today we're going to be looking at some observations about the environments of these three different stories, the recipients, and kind of the common denominators between all three, and hopefully we can learn from their stories and apply them to our stories. So first of all, the environments of these three works of grace. Story one, the riverbank. This is Philippi. It is a Roman colony. It's at the crossroads of the world. It's a great place of commerce. Rome has decided to give Philippi a great deal of freedom, so they have the ability of kind of putting their own government in place. We don't believe that there was a synagogue at all available or a place where they could go for prayer, and so prayer kind of happened at a quiet meeting place by the river, right? So there, you needed at least 10 you needed at least 10 Jewish men to put that, that synagogue together. And so the place of prayer became down by the river. Don't, don't you love running water? I don't know what it is about the most peaceful thing about running water. How many of you like the apps that have background water to them, right? Uh, anybody sleep to that? Anybody? I always have to use the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> right, halfway through the night, I'm like, eh. They go down to the river to find a place of prayer. They find these ladies there, right? And this was a place where people were congregating, some place that was tranquil, and a place where people who had already come to be followers of Jesus were, were there. So it seemed to be a natural meeting place to tell people about salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have the river, first story. Second story, we see the marketplace. Now, this would have been an outdoor bazaar, a busy place. Philippi, 10 to 15,000 people, so maybe about the size of Port Washington, right, population-wise. But all of commerce happened in one area. That would have been the bazaar, right? It was a lot of things happening, a lot of people pushing, a lot of people selling their wares there. It was a place that uh, today, I don't know how it converts, Right? We don't necessarily have the bazaar location, right? Where everybody does business. At least not in our area, you know. Uh, business happens spread out for us rather than all in one location. Probably, probably the closest thing to the marketplace we have today is, is the internet, right? But these were the locations where all business was done. 
It was common day, every man location. Third, we have the jail, a place of hostility, a place of pain. This was controlled by the, the government, and it was some place where you did not want to be. It was a place of sorrow. It was a place of pain. It was primitive. It did not have its own toilet and sink and nice little cushy place to lay. It was primitive. It was difficult. So much so that where Paul and Silas were put is the inner place where they were actually shackled to make sure they didn't get away at all, shackled and was even more uncomfortable. It was a place of hostility, and that's where they were, a place of pain. Often we don't realize that sometimes what it means to follow Jesus means hostility. In some cultures, hostility is much more than we're experiencing. Where it means to follow Jesus means pain. Part of being a follower of Jesus means that we will experience opposition. The jail represented a place of opposition. I like being liked. How many of you like being liked? How many of you could not care less if people like you or not? Love it. Love it. We could really do some personality examinations here, couldn't we? Right? Paul recognized that approval was not necessary and most likely was something we were all going to experience. In Galatians, he put it this way, Obviously, I'm not trying to win approval of people, but of God. I'm, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Wow, that's, that's harsh, because I really like people being happy with me. Right? But if that propensity within me should somehow change the way I act, I've got a problem. Foundationally, it is about serving God no matter how people respond to it. At times, it will be hostility. Let me tell you something. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay if not everybody likes what you stand for. Now, I know, and I've been told in the past from preachers in the past, and I've probably preached it in the past, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus, right? But it doesn't feel that way, does it? But still, Paul says very clearly, it's not the approval of man I work for or live for, it's God's approval. So the jail is this environment of hostility, beautiful, quiet, river where all the people are there praying, right? We have the busy marketplace where everybody's doing business, and then you have this place of hostility. All wonderful places for the gospel to work. Let's look at the recipients. Story one. Lydia, it, it says that she's this wealthy woman. She most likely, she, she, she trades in uh, purple cloth, which is super expensive. She was foreign to the area, so she was not somebody who was a normal Philippi, Philippi woman, right? She was a woman who was a worshiper of God. So she was aware of who God was. She was most likely aware of Old Testament teaching, the Ten Commandments. A, a, a disciplined woman trying to follow God without knowing Jesus. So religious, well-to-do, 
life in order, right? Probably the upper echelon, so much upper because she was a woman in a male-dominated, commerce-driven culture and was still able to do business. So she was a woman of well-means. And all it took was an intellectual discourse, a communication of truth. And she opened her heart and got saved. And her whole household got saved, right? Actually, first convert of Europe, by the way. All from just a sense that there was an inward need that something needed to change. It wasn't just being about religion. It was about Jesus. And all she needed to do was to hear it. And it made all the difference in the world. I love a church that has people from all different backgrounds. I think that's the beauty of, of, of the kingdom. And at ICA in Ukraine, I say it all the time, we've had, we had people who were very, very well off and people who really did not know where they were going to sleep that night. All in the same room, right? And the challenge is, and the importance is, that in the church we treat everybody the same, amen? Yeah. We treat everybody the same. In fact, Scripture really challenges us about that. But often when people are well-to-do, you put so much structure in our lives and it seems like everything's together, but it's not always together. It's not like just, I can follow a set of rules and be religious and everything is fine. And up to that point, that's Lydia's life. But First John, John challenges and deals with this argument of just doing the right thing. He says, if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Even if you had everything together and you were a very religious person, without Jesus, it's not enough. And all Lydia needed was just that information, that next part, and it changed her life. So, first we have in story one, next to the river, Lydia, this wealthy woman, an intellectual discourse, changes her life and her family. Second, totally different, this demon-possessed slave girl, completely opposite to Lydia, right? A totally irreligious, totally somebody who was not chasing after God. She was a slave. She was demon-possessed and her owners were making a lot of money out of the fact that through the demon in her, she was telling the future and people were paying her, right? But the interesting thing is, this slave girl was probably a more spiritual person than Lydia. Why? Because she had spiritual eyes. She, she knew what was really going on. She followed after them, right, and was declaring what even Paul and Silas were not declaring in the marketplace— these people are telling us how to be saved. These, this, these people have this message. And they, she was pestering them and pestering them and pestering them. It's interesting because we think that Paul and Silas had this great you know, posture of trying to lead people to Jesus. They didn't even like her. She was this lady that was just kind of bothering and bothering and bothering, right? And so exasperated. Finally, he just turns around and, and just rebukes the demon and casts it out and her life is changed. 
So completely different experience from, from Lydia. Lydia, all she needed was an intellectual discourse to understand her need and apply it to her already religious life. But the slave girl was completely spiritually oppressed. She had the knowledge of how to be saved. She knew the message, right? But she was so affected by that evil spirit that it held her back. Her her life was totally different because of the demon that was in her. And suddenly, a miracle happened and her life was changed. It's interesting because not only was she spiritually changed, but the first thing that happened as a result of this is her masters lost their money. If you read the passage, Paul and Silas weren't thrown in jail because of preaching the name of Jesus. They were thrown in jail because they took money out of these guys' pockets. Right? Because they had affected not only the spiritual life of this little slave girl, but in in so casting out that demon changed her social situation as well. Right? Because now her being a slave had no power into it whatsoever. She brought nothing to her masters. They... The gospel met her spiritually. The gospel met her practically. Set her free spiritually. Set her free practically. I I think that the gospel, it does both, doesn't it? The gospel sets us free, but as we start down that path in Jesus Christ, it so affects the things around us that we live differently. It sets free. And I, I love the fact that we... We collect boxes for Christmas, right? That we send them all around the world because it's just a practical thing socially. I love that in just a few months we're going to be doing Souls for Jesus, collecting shoes for people because it affects people socially. The love of Jesus affects people socially just as much as it affects them spiritually. She did not need an intellectual discourse. All she needed is God to show up and spiritually change her. Third story. The jailer. He was not the success of Lydia. He was not the mess of the the slave girl. He was just an everyday man, most likely a soldier. His job was just to make sure nobody got out, right? He was an everyday kind of man. You kind of known him as a guy who just gets up and goes to work, is faithful to his job. We know how faithful he is because he was so committed to the protection of of these jailers, that if they got out, he knew that the response is that he would be killed. So he was just willing to do it himself. That's the commitment of this everyday man. This jailer saw something that, that was so different. The intellectual part of Lydia, the spiritual freedom that came in the deliverance of the slave girl, but to the jailer, something was totally different. He just simply needed to witness people doing it. Right? Paul and Silas get thrown in prison, and what do they do during the night? They're singing worship songs. And the rest of the rest of the jail is listening in, and he's they're singing worship songs, right? There's something different there. The moment that the earthquake comes, the miracle comes, and the gates come open and the chains fall off. The jailer thought, what everybody does in that situation if you're in jail is you run. And he goes back in fear knowing I'm just about ready to die. And he looks and and there they are, Paul and Silas. 
Don't worry, don't worry, we're, we're, we didn't leave. They saw it practically. They saw their joy. They saw their lifestyle. And that jailer saw that, and it made all the difference to him. He's a practical guy. He just wants to see somebody actually living it out. To see the joy in their life, right? You guys know the difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is built upon the good things that happen in our lives, right? When everything is happening right, then we are happy. But when things go wrong and we still can have something inside of us that, that lightens our life, that's joy. Regardless of the situations, regardless of what's happening around us, to have joy. That's what the jailer saw. He saw joy. He saw a person actually living the life. He didn't need to have this great discourse of who Jesus was. He didn't need to be delivered. He just needed to see it lived out. And the commitment changed his life and his family life. Everything changed for him. So what is the common denominator? What is the thing that brings it all together? It's Paul and Silas. Now, why, why didn't God deliver that slave girl before? He did so through Paul and Silas. Why, why did not Lydia get all that information in a dream? Because God used Paul and Silas. The lifestyle that they lived out in that jail that so changed that jailer's mind, that was Paul and Silas. Do you know what else the common denominator was? The location. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't at an altar. It was next to the river. It was in the busy marketplace. It was in the jailhouse that God transformed people's lives. Everyday locations. Everyday people. Needing to hear this amazing message in the way in which it affected their lives. There's so much to learn from this. There's so much from these stories to apply to our lives. God was so interested in all three of them, all of different ethnicity, all of different backgrounds. And what do we learn? First idea, the gospel is for all kinds of people. Isn't that great? The gospel is for all kinds of people, different social standings, different education, different language. The church is very unique. Uh, You guys know that as missionaries, we preach in a lot of churches. I say 150. It's probably close to 150 different churches around the United States and and the world that, that Christine and I have visited and preached at. And they're all different. Different people, different buildings, right? Um, They're... There's a lot of churches out there that are pink. How many of you have ever been to a pink church? Lots of flowers seem to attract elderly women and children, right? <laughs> Sorry. There's a church in Florida. I haven't been. There's a church in Florida. They call it Man Church, right? The preacher has a clock on the wall behind him that goes down from the start of the service to the finish, right? Men love their time, right? And... And the, the ushers actually wear stripes like a referee, right? And they run a very masculine man church, right? Okay, that's great, you know. I've heard of cowboy church. How many of you have ever heard of cowboy church, right? Down in Texas, they got cowboy church. 
I could do cowboy church. That'd be fun. <laughs> Unique, diverse. The church is everywhere doing amazing things. The Church of Jesus Christ works in Port Washington in one way and does not work in Ethiopia or the US, former USSR or in China. Then it's not the same gospel. We don't want to try to move our culture somewhere else. It's got to fit everywhere. It's got to fit by the river. It's got to fit in the marketplace. It's got to fit in the prison. Because the church of Jesus Christ cannot be a building. But it is for everyone, everywhere. Other thing we learn from this is the gospel unifies. A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Up to this point, a prayer that most Jews prayed every morning. In fact, Paul, having been a zealot, would have prayed this prayer that went something like this. Thank you, Lord, that I am not a woman, that I am not a slave, and that I am not a Gentile. Guess who the three first converts of Europe were? Right? Wow, was this eye-opening for Paul, right? eye-opening that the, the, the church that I am establishing this thing on is a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. It's got to be for everybody. And what does that tell us? That tells us that those people that we think absolutely never, it's for them. It's for everybody. So, we know that the gospel is for all kinds of people. We know that the gospel unifies all of our diversity, all of our uniqueness. And finally, all right, I'm, I'm going to pause. Let's go back. The gospel unifies. Can you love me for just a minute? I'd never want somebody to have to choose a political party in order to get saved. Do I have to say any more? I know, I, I know where I stand on politics. I love talking about it. We'd probably talk about the very same thing all the time if we did. But I want to make sure that the people walk through the door don't have to jump through that hoop before they jump through the hoop of who Jesus Christ is. All right, let's go on. The gospel is for all kinds of people. The gospel unifies. Finally, we must trust in, Pastor Mark and I were trying to define this really well. It's just the aha moment, right? And our stories, those of us who are followers of Jesus, most of us can go back to what we would define as an aha moment where suddenly the truth and reality of Jesus Christ came alive to us here and here and our lives were changed. Some of you, in the front of your Bible, you have a date written down. How many of you, any of you do that? A few of you? That's your aha moment, right? You can go back to that moment. Some of you, you're much more progressive because you grew up in the church like me. There were probably like 45 aha moments along the way, right? But that moment when God showed up in your life and you were different. I want to see more aha moments. But the aha moments, 
I think there was a season where a lot of aha moments happened, like in, in, a, in a building like this, like in a church, right? And we kind of depended upon that system. But if we look at the three stories here, the diverse ways in which these aha moments happened, it wasn't in a church. It was the Paul and Silas, it was the everyday people telling their story, telling the story of Jesus. Pastor Mark said it last week. Yeah, we can't view our lives as being in a post-Christian nation. We're in a pre-revival nation. We are taking, what's the difference? Post-Christian nation puts us on our heels, right? We're defensive. We're, we're fighting, trying to save what used to be the, the good old days that never really were that great. A pre-revival posture puts us on our toes, and we're ready for what God has next. We're ready to be used by God. We're ready to tell our story because I truly do believe. Man, do you hear the numbers of the people right now going to therapy? Coming out of COVID, there's so much anxiety. There's so much fear. There's so many questions in lives. And I'm not saying that, that Jesus will fix everything right away, but I'm telling you a lot of aha moments would make a big difference. And maybe it's an intellectual discourse. Maybe it's a powerful move of God in their lives. Or maybe it's just people watching you live. Aha. And everything changes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Have some fun after church. Packer game doesn't start till 7 o'clock. You've got plenty of time to stand around and drink your coffee, right? Have some fun and tell somebody your aha moments. The moments in which God revealed something to you and it made all the difference in your life. Something changed inside of you. Maybe you don't know a date, but I can guarantee almost everybody here has got a story. We uh, sat around the fire, a bunch of youth, a few weeks ago, and Christine asked the question, tell me a story about when God really like showed up for you. And I, I was kind of like, I wonder how bold they're going to be. Just like story after story, the youth were telling stories. The youth were telling stories about how God showed up for them, revealed himself to them. Well, if the youth are doing it, what do we have here? Our stories of God showing up and making all the difference in our lives. So today, hang around, grab a cup of coffee. Tell your story to somebody. Share your stories. They're so encouraging to me. Today, I, I, I feel compelled to ask the question. ready for an aha moment today. Come here today and say, God, I, I just need you to explain some things to me. God, I, I, I just need some freedom here. I need you to show up. I need some deliverance in my life. God, 
work just stinks. My lifestyle and my work, and I just don't know how to bring joy back into it. Maybe you need that aha moment today. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like you to simply ask God for it. Give him a chance to show up. Give him a chance to reveal himself. So I want to pray with you in a very unique way. I'd like everybody to close your eyes and bow your head, right? I often say, get alone with God in a room full of people. Just get alone with God in a room full of people. Everybody close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that. I just would like you to ask God to reveal himself to you. morning this week. He loves the marketplace. He loves the riverside. He loves the place of hostility. Their hearts seem to be open in those places. You're here today and you say, I need Jesus more in my life. I need Jesus more in my life. What I'd like you to do is just pick your head up and look at me in the eyes. Nobody else looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Look me in the eyes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want more of Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to show up. Thank you. Anyone else? Stand to your feet with me. We're going to sing a song of worship together. And, and this, is, this is the very practical end of seeking after God. And that is we're just going to worship him. And whatever you ask for, if you ask today to come for things to be explained, if you're asked for the great miracle of deliverance or freedom or miracle to happen in your life, if you asked for the practice of joy, just live it out right now. Just raise your hands in worship in just a few moments and just seek him. A wonderful thing, if you need a place to pray, if you need somebody to pray for, uh, we're going to have people up here ready to pray with you. If today you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today you want that to be your aha moment, I, I encourage you just to slip out. Come, come talk to the Murrays. Come, come talk to me. We would love to take a moment to, to pray with you. Let's go to the Lord and worship together, and let's expect God to show up. Heavenly Father, all across this room, I thank you. We thank you for these stories that align in our lives. Lord God, you have shown up for so many of us in the past. These moments of, wow, God, look what you've done. And there's so many who looked up just a moment ago and said, Lord, we need you to show up again. And so... We simply seek you today. We simply seek you to show up, Lord God. Today is a day that we can write a date down in our Bibles and say, Lord God, you showed up. You made a difference in my heart. Lord, we're looking to you right now. 